was the moment, the first moment in five years where I thought, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I sober? Like, what was the point? This guy still left, right? And when I started to look into sort of like what went on, um, I realized, yeah, like my, the changes I made as a result of my sobriety really broke down the marriage. And so that was tough to accept. And I think that also like when I'm in that sort of like when I'm feeling those things, it's like my tendency is to isolate and to feel ashamed, ashamed of this marriage broke up. And so that was probably the, those moments, those months were probably when I was most considering drinking again. Welcome to the 1000 Days Sober Podcast. My name is Lee Davey. I am not an alcoholic. I refuse to be anonymous. I am somebody that doesn't drink alcohol and I spend every wicked moment of my life helping other people do the same. Like right now, just want to give a few shout outs before I get to our guest today. Um, Strive, 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 strive. Whilst this is called the 1000 Days Sober Podcast, um, really, it is all about strife. It's all about the strife method. My method that I created initially to help people to become alcohol free as fuck, right? To like stop drinking alcohol. And then it evolved into much more than that. It evolved due to my own personal journey, really, when I realized that actually you could be alcohol free as fuck and still be a complete enough to prick, right? And still behave terribly, which I did for many, many years, right? So I then evolved the strike method um, to actually help you to live a more conscious life, right? Which I think is ultimately the goal of every human being on this planet. Um, so the Strive Method and the Strive Community is where it's all at. How does the Strive Method work? Well, it's a series of meditations uh, built upon some core principles um, of the way that I live my life and that I help and guide my clients to do the same in my coaching capacity. Um, so the Strive Method is those meditations. And then at the end of each meditation, there is a quest. The quest is an invite to you uh, to learn to grow areas of your life in terms of compassion, connection, courage, confidence, clarity, curiosity, creativity, calmness, patience, perseverance, uh, play. Uh, what else is there? Probably missing a few there. But uh, you get the point. We're trying to grow our life holistically. So you partake into these quests. We give you a little quest, give you a little project to get on with. Um, and then when you smash those projects, you get points, right? Um, and this is how you heal and you evolve and you grow using the Strive Method. And some shout outs today. First of all, I want to give a shout out to Polly. And I want to give a shout out to Susie. Both Polly and Susie have reached the toughest phase of our alcohol-free quest. So each quest has three phases, tough, tougher, and toughest. Polly and Susie have achieved the toughest phase of our alcohol-free quest. Both of them have gone 90 days without having a single drop of alcohol. Well done, Polly and Susie. Secondly, I want to say a big well done to Polly. She has done the tougher phase of the checking in quest. So for 60 days, Polly has gone into the Discord channel here at Strive, and she has shared her life. She's opened up about her thoughts, her feelings. She's been sharing what's been bothering her. She's been sharing her struggles, and she's been also checking in on other people and helping other people out as well. She's been doing that for 60 days. Um, so she has also uh, wrapped up. Actually, she's got some uh, confidence points and some courage points as a result of um, going into those challenges and smashing them. And um, yeah, one more thing I wanted to say happy fifth Strive birthday for Stella. Yeah, Stella has been with us for five years, continuing to grow how to live consciously, but more is important, uh, giving back to this wonderful community. For those of you out there who have stopped drinking, uh, and it's not in your life anymore, and you want to give back and help other people whilst also growing yourself, Strive is a perfect place for you. So Stella, Polly, Susie, love you tons. Thank you for being such incredible um, leaders and inspirations here at Strive. And what do Polly, Susie, and Stella have in common? Well, they're both women, right? But we have opened up this week Strive for Men. Yes, we have a men's group. So if you're currently out there, and you are reached midlife 
and you're having a little bit of a midlife crisis, you are looking at your partner and you want to throttle them, you are not getting the sex and intimacy you want, you're currently feeling angry all the time, you are not showing up in the fatherhood department, you much would prefer uh, to be at work and spend time working than be with your kids. Maybe you're spending too much time playing video games, hanging out with the lads, drinking, taking drugs, watching pornography. Uh, maybe you uh, had dreams when you were younger to be something special. You was going to make your mark on the world. And right now you're really not doing that. Uh, maybe you have a difficult time trusting men. Maybe you feel a bit insecure about your body. Maybe you have a lot of thoughts and feelings running through that brain and that body that make you feel ashamed. Maybe you just cannot communicate with yourself and those that you love the most. Maybe your relationships are just not evoking the passion and sense of purpose that you thought they would. If that is you and you are male or you're a female who knows a man who fits that description, then email me at the stride method at gmail.com and we will bring you into the fold. Stride for men. You get access to the Strike Method Quests, our community and weekly group calls on Zoom, where yours truly, Elementum, Master Life Coach, will be um, learning you all the tricks of the trade about how I completely and utterly fucked up my life as a man, and I'm slowly putting it all back together again. Okay, so reach out to me at the Strike Method at gmail.com if you want to join Strive or you want to join Strive for Men. Okay, so strive life after alcohol. If you want to stop drinking alcohol, live consciously. Strive for men if you are a man who wants to live more consciously, right? Okay, so now on to our guest today, Sonia Cologne. Sonia is the founder of Everbloom, which provides small group recovery meetings where members are matched into groups based on what they're struggling with. The goal is for members to find connection through conversation and to get meaningful support and feedback from each other. Who is Sonia? Well, she's an orthodontist who built and sold a successful multi-location practice in 2016 and got sober in 2017. Since then, she's become a recovery coach and has dedicated her life to making a difference with social impact investing and volunteering with the incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, and victims of sex trafficking. And now she hopes to create her biggest impact by leveraging the power of peer support to create community for those on their recovery journey. Okay. So I'm going to shut the hell up and leave you in the capable hands of the incredible Sonia Cullum. Thank you for listening. Oh, and if you want to get a hold of Sonia and join Everbloom and all that good stuff, email me at thestrivemethod.gmail.com and I'll put you in touch with her, okay? Sonia, I love your uh, flamingo there in the background. Tell me about it. <laughs> You're not the only one that loves it. I've been getting like a lot of comments on it. So, and I unspoused my house when I got divorced. And so I was like, anything pink or fluffy or like I was in it. You can see there's flowers back there. It's it's good. I like that. Unspoused your house. I remember when I um, left my 20-year uh, career on the railway, which kind of coincided in my alcohol journey. I decided to get a big purple Mohican. It was like... I wasn't able to do this while I was in this life. And now I'm in a new life. That's what I'm going to do. It was a bit like that. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Like any, it's like you need to make some sort of change, like in your environment. Yeah. So do you think uh, you need to do the same thing when you stop drinking? Yeah, for sure. Uh, for sure. Mm. I think either it comes before or during. Um, yeah, for me, I had to change my environment before so i was like there was like a good six months of like a different sort of life while i but i was still drinking but with a plan to stop mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but talk, yeah talk, talk, about, talk about that period actually where you're because i i didn't that wasn't my uh that wasn't my journey like i i didn't have that period of ambivalence that uh, most people have i was just like i have a problem oh no i'm never going to drink again that was it <laughs> so um, what, yeah, talk about your ambivalent period. In a sense, I did have that moment where I did. It was literally just one day that I quit, but I had been thinking about it. So I was running a fairly large business um, that I had started and scaled. And during it, like, so as the better it did, the more I drank and the more my mental health was just like spiraling out of control. It was almost paralleled to how well the business was doing. I think I just had this 
fear of it all going away. And so the better it did, the more afraid I was. And, Mm -hmm. and I was working like crazy. And so I had no other outlet. I had no hobbies. I had no, I didn't have a close relationship with my family. I was just working and then drinking. And so, but I got really lucky. So I was had like blinders on and I called to get a headhunter to get some help with the business. And the headhunter was like, would you ever consider selling? And I thought, I didn't, I didn't even know that was like something I was building. Like I didn't even know that was an option. And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll like entertain, you know, some offers. And uh, the offers were incredible. It was just like a perfect time. It was like the perfect storm of where I lived, how many offices I had, the footprint they kind of this company wanted to make in the East Coast. And so um, I took that offer, but I knew as soon as I took it that if I wasn't working 16 hours a day, 14 hours a day, like what was I going to be doing? Like I knew I would start drinking earlier and earlier because at that point mm. I kind of had my drinking confined to like dinner and later. And so I was really freaked out. I had no other identity, right? Other than working really hard and like playing really hard. So yeah. So for about six months after the sale, I started kind of like working on some hobbies. I started just kind of like thinking in my head, like, okay, I can't, we can't do this anymore. And um, I just, yeah, one day I'd been thinking about it for a few months. And one day I had a really vicious hangover and I was out with a girlfriend of mine who was pregnant to brunch. And the waiter was like, do you want a mimosa? And I was like, no, no, I sure don't. I don't. Mm. And that was it. That was it. I never said no to a drink. Like I am the, I'm an alcoholic. Like I have never had one drink only. I've never said no to a drink. I'll drink any, you know, if I'm in Vegas, I'll drink at eight in the morning. (laughs) Like, Mm. so yeah, that was just it. And it was like a white knuckling type thing for several, several months, maybe even years. Mm. I'll just go back to, um, when you're 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 hustling and working extreme hours, building your business, and you're drinking at that time, was you drinking just as we say in the UK, par for the course? Like, was you just drinking because that's what people do, or was you drinking because you was using it as some sort of uh, uh, medicine or a numbing agent? Yeah. What what was what was what was your consciousness or lack of it around your drinking at that time? Um, I don't know what, I don't remember what my, my consciousness around it was, oh, this is par for the course. Um, but there were mornings I would wake up and know that this couldn't be par for the course. You can't feel this crappy if it's par for the course. And so now that I've had some time to look back, I think, yeah, I had zero coping mechanisms for stress. And so now it makes sense that as the stress kind of increased, that my drinking increased, I think that I had never really properly addressed any like mental health issues. I think that I thought, well, I'm type A, I'm ambitious, I work really hard. And so these things are sort of normal for someone like that. And honestly, I remember a point being like, well, I also don't want to, I don't want to take medication because I don't want to blunt that hustle. Like I was Mm -hmm. almost worried about like me being too happy and settled would kind of like make me less aggressive in business. Mm. And so those were like the few thoughts like floating around my head. And so, yeah, it was, yeah, a combination of me thinking it was par for the course, but then knowing, like having that voice being like, this can't be normal. So this, this huge stress in your day-to-day life and alcohol is um actually acting as a coping mechanism in in the absence of any other coping mechanism so when you stopped drinking how did you how did you manage with your stress i mean i one right the major source of stress had decreased but it didn't mean i still didn't have like anxiety depression and so i guess my pathway i just think of it like i just did all the things i exercised, I journaled, I meditated. I also, you know, didn't have a business. So I was, I took classes in like photography and writing and I started writing about my sobriety. And um, yeah, I think all the things was sort of my pathway. I started volunteering um, with a program that teaches entrepreneurship to the incarcerated, formerly incarcerated. Um, So I was really feeling pretty good. Like I was giving back, I was working on myself. 
I wasn't doing it at like an uncomfortable pace. I was just sort of like bopping along. But yeah, that was sort of my, if you want to call it a pathway. But, you know, my brother had been in AA, so I was super familiar with AA. I love it, Mm. but it just wasn't for me. So what you're saying there is um, actually quitting the job removed a large portion of your stress anyway. How, How do you think you would have managed if you'd stopped drinking and you were still in the business? I don't think I would have. Hmm. And that is the hard part when I talk to other people, because I don't, I mean, it's not feasible to tell people like, well, you need to quit your job and that'll solve all your (laughs) drinking problems. But what I think it is, is it, it's, it shows that you do have to make some sort of environmental change. I think I could have done it. I just don't think I would have. So I think if I had wanted to do it, which is sort of what I'm doing now with like work and having a business is, is learning how to like delegate learning how to have downtime, learning to prioritize eating properly, sleeping. If I had done those things, I could have, I think. But mm-hmm. um, but now I know what what I should have done. I mean, talk about that a little bit. There, there'll be people listening to this who are quote-unquote high performers, probably right on the window of tolerance, sympathetic nervous system state, within like a, a key drop of activation any moment now. Uh, what yeah. what advice would you give to those type of people when it comes to um, drinking or not drinking whilst they're in whilst they're in this kind of this supercharged masculine state? I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost like you have to harness that sort of mind for the good, right? So, like for example, like now, like I yeah, I'm a hyper scheduler, but like I have my gym clothes right over there for when we get off, and so that would have been something I would have never done. I would have just jumped into work. Like I would have been stressed during this conversation. And after I would have to check my email. And and so, yeah, it's just developing that sort of... I think if you schedule yourself like to do normal things throughout the day, you schedule breaks. If you're a scheduler, this will work, right? At some point, it will just become natural to not be on in that like fight or flight all day, every day. Mm -hmm. So what I'm what I'm hearing there is um, is to if this because the way I see it is when when we are in this work driven environment it's it really brings out that masculine structure um, getting things off the to do list kind of like part of our uh, psyche um, and what you're saying is have a have a look at that and use it for a force of good so if um, how can you use so the masculine got you into the trouble? How can you use the masculine to get you out of trouble by scheduling more downtime, et cetera, et cetera? Right. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, yeah. Today's like a good example. Like I have things to do all day, but I know at some point I'm going to take a couple of hour break and walk my dogs and have dinner. And yeah. And so I think that it's also, I think you also have to figure out what, what you like to do. Like, do you like to walk your dogs? If not, then hire a dog walker and get that time back for yourself. And I think it's just more, I think I just really didn't know who I was and what my values were and what I liked and didn't like to do. And so I just was like barreling through without much finesse. So I can see how the masculine got you into a bit of a, got you into a bit of trouble, but at the same time made you a lot of money and brought a lot of success. And now I see around you a lot of, like I look right right now, I see feminine essence everywhere. Um, was was the feminine missing from your life back then? And was drinking a way of uh, getting in touch with that? And and how are you dealing with that now? You don't drink that 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 balance of masculinity and femininity. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think my life in like every aspect was imbalanced. So. You know, I think that, yeah, between like being super aggressive and being assertive was imbalanced, right? And so I think that I was using the drinking by the end for everything, right? I was using it to celebrate. I was using it to come down from stuff. I was using it for everything. And so I think there's a whole rebalancing that went on in like every part of my life. I think like physically, um, like my body feels you know, differently balanced. I think, um, yeah, in terms of like my ability to like calm down and yeah, if you're talking about like the feminine, the sort of like nurturing, um, 
yeah, that changed a lot. Like I have three nieces that when I was working really hard, didn't have like a huge relationship with. And as soon as I stopped working and that much and stopped drinking, they're the most important things in my life now. Mm. They're just, they are at the top of like every priority list. And so there, there has been a change. I think part of it was that I didn't want to bring that energy into their life. Mm. Um, and I knew that I didn't, you know, it was like, do I want them to end up like me? And it was like, no, I know I'm successful. And from the outside, it looks like a really good way to end up. But I feel like now I'm like a much better role model to them. Mm. Mm. Wonderful. I like that. Um, you said that you didn't know who you was. How did you to share um, that process of yeah, like self self discovery, I guess, because it, it's it can be quite confronting when we get to a certain age in life, and we're like, hang on a minute, how did I get to this point without knowing who the heck I am? Like, share share your story in that side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think, and and you understand this, I can tell, like too, is that like after you get sober, you really want to be of service in some way to that community, and so that really helped me figure out who I was and like what my priorities were. And so one, yeah, of course I figured out like what I, my hobbies were, what I wanted my daily schedule to look like. Um, but more importantly, like I really figured out like what my value system was and what part, like what amount of my life I wanted to like allocate essentially to like service and to like the recovery community and and so, and it ends up being like almost, you know, most of it I would like to, you know, is, is dedicated to that. But yeah, I think it was just like a shift in, in not even a shift. I think I didn't know what my value system was. And I think it started mm. to become clearer that, that I was using that old sort of definition of success as sort of like my North star. And that was not who I was. And that's probably also why it felt so off mm. and why I was drinking so much um, was that it just didn't align with with who I was. How did, what was the uh, most challenging aspects for you as you was moving from being a drinker to somebody who doesn't drink? What were the toughest moments for you? You know, yeah, I think that I had a pretty calm first five years of sobriety. Um, I was sort of, I don't, I don't know if pink cloud is the right word, but I was sort of like, doing great, like figuring out so many things, things I knew I could have never done when I was drinking. And then the toughest, toughest, toughest part. And the the moment I was like, I don't think I can stay sober was um, after five years of me being sober, my husband left after 18 years. And that was the moment, the first moment in five years where I thought, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I sober? Like, what was the point? This guy still left, right? And when I started to look into sort of like what went on, um, I realized, yeah, like my... The changes I made as a result of my sobriety really broke down the marriage. And so that was tough to accept. And I think that also like when I'm in that sort of like when I'm feeling those things, it's like my tendency is to isolate and to feel ashamed, ashamed that this marriage broke up. And so that was probably the those moments, those months were probably when I was most considering drinking again. Mm -hmm. I'd, li I'd like to, I know this is very vulnerable for you, and but I'd, I'd like to touch upon this if, if that's okay. Because yeah. I, ha I had a call with uh, somebody the other day, they'll be listening to this likely, um, and they were saying to me on the call that <clears throat> so many amazing things change for them when they stop drinking. They're clear-headed, more meaning and purpose, losing weight, less stress and anxiety, et cetera, et cetera. And then because of that, there is almost this expectation that this person's relationship with his partner yes. would improve and would yes. become better and then it didn't work out like that. And then this person is now kind of like, you know, what the heck is going on? And obviously there's a lot of panic in that. And the reason I think I wanted to focus on this is so many people in that moment will relapse out of fear. Like they'll tell themselves the story that the alcohol 
is what's breaking up the marriage. You'll probably get that feedback as well that you, we never had these problems when you when we were, when you were drinking, et cetera, et cetera. So I can do this because I've been in the same spot as you. But let's start with you. Um, what what did you looking back in hindsight and with a lot of compassion and love? Um, what is it that you did uh, or the way that you behaved in those moments that you would maybe do differently? I could share a bit of that as well. Um, and what advice would you give to somebody who is actually telling themselves, I'm not going to stop drinking alcohol because if I do, I will lose my wife or I'll lose my husband. Yeah, I agree with you. I was under the impression that my most significant rela- relationships would improve when I stopped drinking. So this was a huge shock and also something I was hesitant to share because I didn't want to give people that impression that if you get sober, your husband will leave. And so um, looking back, I can see that when I started to get more comfortable talking about my sobriety, writing about it, making art about it, I can see we never had an argument, but I could see he wasn't completely excited about it. Like his lack of interest should have been a sign to me that we needed to stop and talk because uh, everyone else around me was so excited. Like my art was in galleries, my writing was getting published. And this guy was not as excited as a spouse you would expect to be. And so I think that in his defense, I didn't ask him like, is it okay if I share this part of our life. And and he was not at the center of a lot of things that I was putting out there. But you know what? He wasn't comfortable, I don't think, with the idea of having a wife that was sober or an a former addict. And he was okay that I didn't drink, it seemed, but did not really want this to become like a point of conversation with our families or our friends. And so I noticed when we would be out with friends, he would just kind of jump in and say, oh, Sonia doesn't drink before I could say I'm sober. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I probably should have had more conversations and asked him how it made him feel. And and he did say, he left extremely abruptly. Um, we were fine. We had dinner the night before. We walked our dogs. And then the next morning, he was like, I just I'm not going to do this anymore. It was very strange. Um, and when what he said that morning was like, you're you've become so introverted. And, you know, we met when I was in my early 20s. And he's right. I was like the life of the party. I was extroverted. I also didn't know I was using alcohol, right? As a social Mm. lubricant. And so as I got older and as I got sober, I really like being by myself. And I like doing sort of solitary activities. And I like to read and write and cook. And so you know, in his defense, I had changed. I don't think I've changed fundamentally as a person, but I think that, yeah, the way I lived my life changed. And yeah, I think that I don't know if it would have made a difference if I had caught it earlier, but I wish I had. So I wouldn't have that regret. Like maybe Mm. if I had brought this up a year earlier, um, you know, things would be different. We could have worked on it. But at the same time, I don't know how much I was willing to compromise. Mm. Mm. I hear you. Like yeah, a, like certain solid boundaries around certain things. Becoming ambivalent around our alcohol use is confusing, uncomfortable, and downright terrifying. Alcohol is so embedded in our lives that we can't imagine our life without it. And at Strive, we get that. So why not take one step at a time, starting with diving deep into our book, The Strive Method, Control Alcohol for 30 Days Before It Controls You for the Next 30 Years. Head over to www.thestrivemethod.com to purchase and receive a Santa sack full of freebies today. My story is very, very similar, actually. Um, If I was to look back on how it happened for everybody listening, um, I think um, Sonia makes a really great point. I was so self-obsessed and consumed by me and my change and everything that I was doing. And I just found it just to be so awe-inspiring and life-changing that I didn't really stop to ask, how is this affecting those closest to me, particularly my wife? Um, And I think if I would have had more conversations around that at that time, then maybe there could have been 
uh, a win-win somewhere. So, for example, I, I'm the same as you. I, I, a lot of people, I lost everybody. You know, I lost, I lost my family, my relationship with my family as it was then. I lost my my um, my son, my wife, my every all my friends. Um, and I don't, I don't, I don't regret it at all. I think it was, uh, it was just something that was always going to happen at some point in order for me to grow and live a fulfilled life. Um, but I really do think that having having the ability to have a conversation and realize and you know hey yeah i'm i am showing more of my introverted side but i'm not i'm i don't look at life as an extrovert or an introvert i can be extroverted when i want to be i can be introverted when i want to be um what are the things that we can do that don't involve alcohol that really uh, feed into your extroversion you know that we can go go and do like you know but we wasn't having those conversations cuz our life at that point was all the social structure was just around alcohol. So if anyone's listening to this, you know, just realize that as you're going through this incredible change and you want to make this change is to have those conversations and make sure that they're a part of it as well. And that their needs and their wants and desires are taken care of, but also have really strong boundaries around what is essentially the most important thing is, and I'm not going to drink, like I, I will, I would do X, Y, Z, but I'm, yeah, I'm not going to drink. I mean, and that's tough because I remember my ex-wife saying, I'm not going to stop drinking and me finding that really difficult to take. Like you would, you would rather the marriage ended than, than that. But it's the same when you flip it around, when someone says you, if you don't drink, I'm going to leave. It's kind of like, it's, you've got to meet some, you've got to find some middle ground. And sometimes it ain't, it cannot be the alcohol if you want it out of your life. Right. It can't. I remember thinking, I like, I love a good quote. And I remember those days thinking, if my sobriety doesn't come first, everything else in my life comes last, right? Mm -hmm. And so I remember him saying, um, he did say this within the kind of few, that couple of week period, um, you know, I feel like I can't connect with people because I can't, I don't drink. And I had never asked him not to drink. That was a choice. He, I would have been fine if he, you know, had a couple of drinks here and there. And so and he said, I, I can't socialize the way I want to. And so I don't remember thinking, well, maybe if I started drinking, we can fix this. Yeah. But I I do remember just thinking, thinking, oh my God, like what is wrong with me? And then weeks later, it was like, oh my God, what an asshole, like for saying that. Like just what a complete jerk for saying mm -hmm. and saying that. And that is one of the things I sort of can hold on to when I have a bad day which was that was never going to happen. Hmm. Like I, it was never going to be, I was never going to start drinking again and be a healthy drinker. And so if he needed to leave in order for me, in order to have the life he wanted, um, then maybe it happened for the best. <laughs> I mean, yeah, depends what school of thought you come from. And like I come from a school of thought that everything that life throws at you you know, you have the capacity to handle it as a human. And then there's there's some gold dust on the other side of it. So I, I love my wife dearly. I was with her for like 20 years uh, and I loved her dearly. Um, and then we split up and I fell in love with somebody else. And if I split up with Liza, I would fall in love with someone else. Like, I mean, that's just my outlook on life. Like I don't, I don't, uh, I don't, uh, things happen as they're supposed to happen, you know? And I, I, I remember um, actually drinking. Um, so I'd stopped drinking and then we had an anniversary and we was going away somewhere. And I was really, really worried that she was just going to get blotto and it would spoil everything. Um, so I decided that I would drink with her and try to be the pacemaker. This is, and, and actually straight, like I didn't even, I didn't even count this as like, a relapse <laughs> like you know even now when i say to people like they'll yeah. say when was the last time you drink this night is not in my story <laughs> i just i'd even forgotten about it because when i first gave up drinking i wasn't really um i wasn't like all in on abstinence it wasn't like i was against it i just said i'm not drinking again and because it wasn't an issue for me if a friend said to me Oh, did you know this apple cider is now pear cider? I would say, give me a taste to let me know what it's like. Cause I honestly, I, I was done with it. So I wasn't worried that I would go back drinking. It wasn't until I relapsed after we got divorced 
and I met somebody else, then I relapsed big time for like a month. Um, and then, then I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this, this is going to catch me up pretty quickly. And then I, I didn't drink again from that moment, you know, but, uh, it can be, it can be really difficult and really challenging. So I would just say, don't, don't do it alone, you know, seek yeah. out groups and communities. We're going to talk about yours in a minute, uh, seek out groups and communities and just say, Hey, I'm really struggling in my relationship right now. Um, how can you help? How, how can anybody help me? And, uh, you know, get some help. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an interesting trajectory for you. I, I wonder, like, it seems like it was so like informed by like what was going on, right? Like in your life. So it was like the first time it was like, it's justified. This is like a form of like marriage counseling. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then the second time you had been through something so difficult that it turned into something much well, bigger. I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say something super controversial for the vast majority of people listening to this, but, um, Again, somebody was on a call from call with me the other day and wanted to know how I could help him, right? And uh, the person I was speaking to, he, he he was a little bit worried about AA, right? He was a little bit worried about how people were talking to him in AA and stuff. And and he was very open and he was saying, look, you know, I um I don't know if I want to stop drinking forever, right? And and I was like, okay, uh, that's not a big deal because um if you are one of those few people who manages to drink quote unquote consciously uh and i i know there's an argument about whether putting a poison in your body is conscious at all <clears throat> but that's kind of not my point you know i have a, i'm married happily married to a beautiful woman who rarely rarely drinks but she does sometimes and i don't view her as drinking medicinally i think she's part of the she's indoctrinated a part of the whole alcohol thing um, but she's, she's making a conscious decision with her meal, for example, to have a glass of wine. She believes she's enjoying it. And there is absolutely zero risk of her <laughs> like now going on a bender. Right. So yeah. I think the first time I drank, I was in that space. And then when I relapsed after my wife had left me, I was not in that space. I, I, I was, holy shit. If I don't drink now, this, this woman is going to leave me because I am so unattractive. I'm so boring. I uh, She's never going to, why is she going to want me in her life? Right. If I can't kick loose and I was in Vegas and I can't kick loose <laughs> in Vegas. Right. So then I drank. And unfortunately her and my son were like, actually you're a real dick when you're drinking. And, and that was kind of like, Oh, what am I doing? And I woke up and I haven't had a drink since then. So the controversial wow. part, the controversial part I'm interjecting here, I guess is, um, and this isn't this isn't giving people an excuse out there. Lee said, so I could go try it. That's bullshit. That's your own responsibility. Uh, we cannot ignore the fact that there are millions of people out there that don't don't have a problem drinking, right? We can't ignore that fact, right? So um, if you're able to do it, go you, right? But I, I do think there is a a conscious and an unconscious way of viewing pornography or not, eating sugar or not smoking or not drinking or not like i i really feel like you know the old abstention argument works for me but it might not work for somebody else right you know i don't know what your thoughts are on that oh no i'm 100 percent behind it i think that um i would say the majority of the people i meet are not 100 percent sure they'll never drink again i think the majority yeah. hope that someday they'll be able to go to a wedding and have a glass of champagne or they'll be you know at a wine tour and be able to have a glass of wine and it's really not for me to say whether or not they can or they can't i can't but mm. i mean it does and honestly if i had a glass of wine tonight i mean i think i know where we would be in a month but who knows right like maybe i would just you know tomorrow wake up and be like oh i'm never doing that again but i mean i think yeah you would find me like under a banquette in Vegas and like a club, but like, who knows? <laughs> right. And so, and yeah. I think everyone, but I also think my drinking went so far, like it had gone to this point. A lot of the people I meet are sort of catching it after a couple of years of hard drinking mm. or as hard drinking as a result of some really traumatic event. And so it's just not for me to say, and will those people, some of them end up realizing that they are better off sober and abstinent. Probably. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think my my one month relapse is one of the most powerful things that ever happened in my life. Because it, it I really was cocky. Like I, I really I really thought that I'd 
nailed it and I wouldn't have a problem. And the speed to which I went from having one drink in the Palazzo in Las Vegas to just one in one every night was just so quick. It was pretty scary, you know? And, and then, and then what happened for me, I actually stopped gambling uh, when I um, stopped drinking. And um, (laughs) so I didn't gamble for like, I don't know, three or four years or something. And then that night when I drank, Man, I wanted it all. Like I, I, I had three grand in my pocket. I stuck it on red. I, I would have smoked cigarettes. I would have taken. Co- I, I would have done everything. You, there was a part of my brain that was like, okay, this is fucking it. Like I'm, if I'm gonna blow it up, I'm gonna blow it up. You know. And so I learned a lot from that experience. And uh, there was, there is no failure in life, right? Like everybody has a relapse. The most important thing is just like, okay, okay, what happened? Like, how can we learn from this? Like, you know. Yeah. And I remember like the second week I was sober, I had bought tickets when I was not sober to a show in Atlantic City. And I remember being like, oh God. But I will say casino is not somewhere you are comfortable sober for sure at the beginning. I remember Mm. just being like curled into a ball, like in a chair in a lounge, just being like, I don't know what to do. Like, can't drink, don't want to gamble because it was really triggering. And so, yeah, I got through it. I've been to a casino since and it's been like, okay. Mine was a dance floor. Like I, I loved to dance. And then all of a sudden I didn't have a drink in me and I was, I was terrified of dancing, but, uh, but then I later learned that, my inner child wanted so much approval from everybody that it was scared to dance because it felt that people would would think I was an idiot. And that has nothing to do with alcohol. Like yes. the the alcohol just prevented me from even having that exploration. Right? Like yeah, yeah. I I learned so much about myself without without that in the way. So you stopped drinking. How long did it take before you was like? Holy shit! I've learned how good life is. I, I'm going to tell the world and then create Everbloom. What happened there? Well, no, I mean, I that happened as a result of the breakup. So, um, I yeah, I remember thinking I'm probably going to start drinking, um, and I just thought, okay, well, you know what? Let me try going to a meeting. And so I went to like a non twelve step community meeting online, and mm. about two hundred people online, and. Honestly, it was really comforting to go to a meeting. And so I went to that meeting every day at like 8 a.m. for like six weeks. And I was a a disaster those six weeks. And so I wasn't about to share or, you know, I wasn't going to connect with people anyways, sort of around that time. But, you know, after that, I thought, you know, I kind of want to talk about this. And, but I'm still not going to talk about it in front of 200 people. And with those 200, I would say like, 5% 5% were on camera. And over the weeks, I'd noticed maybe only 5% shared and they shared like every time. And so I thought, this is not where I'm going to find my people to talk to this about. And so um, I was super lucky. I have, um, I don't have like a nuclear family um, or a close relationship, but I have two sister-in-laws that are incredible. Both were married to my brother and divorced from him. And he was an alcoholic. Um, I have three nieces, two of them are teenagers. I have neighbors, I have friends. Like, so I had a support system, but they, one, I didn't feel comfortable telling them, Hey, I, I don't know how I'm going to stay sober. Um, because I knew that the alarm that would kind of go off in their head if I said that, like they would just like a SWAT team would be here mm-hmm. in like a couple of days. And so, and then they also didn't understand it as part of my sober journey, like getting through this horrible kind of event or I don't know if it's really an event, but was, was something I needed. I wasn't guaranteed I was going to get through it sober and I needed to talk about that. And so I um, looked for something that was smaller and also was like people who were sort of going through something similar, like a life transition, not a divorce, not, you know, necessarily, but people who needed to rebuild their life after period of sobriety. And so I couldn't find it. And also I noticed a lot of meetings, um, they're general and the majority of the people who are sharing are, you know, in the first like six months of sobriety. And they should be the ones sharing, to be honest. Like that's a really tough time. You need a lot of feedback. And so, and I didn't want to, you know, interrupt and be like, my husband left, you know, whining and be like, well, I've been sober for five years, but he left. And so he was still going to be gone in six months. We could talk about mm. it then. And so yeah, yeah. I 
I, you know, I, I looked for something that felt right and I just couldn't find it. I really wanted conversation. I wanted feedback. So AA was out, right? No crosstalk. And then something large was out because there wasn't time. It was just like, boom, 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 people venting, right? And I didn't want to vent. And I just wanted to have a conversation. I wanted someone to tell me I was going to be okay. They were okay. So I just started thinking about like, what if I created something that filled that void. And I said, well, let's make sure there's a void first. So I did a Mm. a lot of research and I just couldn't find it. And so I Mm. thought, okay. And then I just started kind of mapping out like what it would look like. And I kind of had like sobriety kind of in the middle. And then I kind of had all these spokes, like what different groups could look like. And I thought, well, what are the things I've suffered with like in my life? And I thought, okay, well, I've had imposter syndrome, kind of self-confidence issues. I've had job burnout for sure. And and now I'm having this life transition issue. And I thought, okay, there's enough groups here to make something work. Like there's enough kind of pockets of people that need sort of a specialized, you know, environment to be able to talk about those things. And so, yeah, that's how it came. Yeah. That's how it came to be. Can you, can you, can you remember the time when it was just, just you, <laughs> you got your community up and you're posting to yourself because there's nobody there. And you're waiting for people to show up. Talk about the, the beginnings and how that, how you oh, dealt with that. God, the be- I mean, there's been like a lot of small pivots. And so I would say, yeah, the beginning, I, I always talk about this, like my meetings, um, the first meeting was at 7 p.m. And it was like 6.59 and no one was in the Zoom room. And I was like, oh my God, what am I like? What's going to happen? And then people start to show up. And it was like, the first meeting was like, four people. The second meeting was like eight. And then the third, by the third or fourth meeting, we had the group, like we had Mm. it, like we, I didn't want to go past 15, 16, 17 people. I wanted everyone to be able to share at every meeting. So, and I want everyone to be able to come to the end of a thought, like start a thought and come to the end of it. And that was something I had noticed in the other meetings that there was a timer. They said, set your timer for two minutes when you start sharing. And I was mm. that I, I couldn't get behind that, even though probably I would share for less than that. I just, you know, some people really need to get something out. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's how it started. And then it just got busier and busier. And so, and it's been going great. I'm just, I mean, my goal was to help like one person figure out their relationship with alcohol and hit that goal, like really quick. And I just, I don't know, I'm thrilled. Like I couldn't be happier about about how how the feed what the feedback from our members has been about how much it's helped them. What's your what's your gender split like? Are you seeing um, women, men? Yeah, a bit of split. What are you seeing? No, it, I would say I'm seeing like ninety percent women. And mm. so I I did like yeah I did a lot of research and sort of analytics going into it, and I thought the split would be for sure in favor of women, but I thought it would be like a like maybe a seventy thirty. So even I'm a little surprised, but I also that so that's been one of the small pivots is that okay, like pe- women want a kind of women centered meeting. Men are actually okay to pop in and out, um, but the biggest pivot for me has been what we were just talking about, which was I don't use the word sober nearly as much as I did at the beginning. No, mm. these people are not. They don't want to be labeled as sober. They don't necessarily even want to be sober. And so it's really changed more to helping people figure out what they want their relationship with alcohol to be and helping them figure it out through connecting with other people. And so and I think that's kind of the best way to figure it out is see what other people are going through. And so, yeah, that's sort of... Um, that's been the major transition for me is is wanting people to be honest. People weren't being honest at the beginning. They were like, I haven't drank in four days. But they were planning to drink on Saturday night. They were, they were going to try having a couple of drinks. And so it's so much safer if they are honest and we can like all talk about it mm. and say, well, what's the plan to have two? What happens if you want a third drink? What are you going to do instead of ignoring that this is happening? Mm. And then I, I just want to echo like our strike community. Um, it's definitely more women than it is men. But the most crucial factor is... Um, the women contribute more than the men, um, for sure. And one thing that I've noticed is uh, the women who are more uh, feel safer in their masculine uh, contribute more than the women who feel safe more safer in their feminine. Maybe that's because our community is more as uh, was 
built and structured around the kind of masculine side of things maybe but uh yeah for a message to all you guys out there pull your finger out your ass man um this is not a female problem it's a human problem and um whilst you can whilst you can all say that culturally and conditionally you were raised to repress and suppress your emotions and uh, not talk about your feelings, et cetera, et cetera. So we're most of the women in the groups as well. And that's in the past. That's not now. Um, reach out and get some help and support because it, it can really help you out, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know if you think this, I think the split for AA is a lot more, um, might even be more favorable towards men, but it's certainly um, closer to a 50-50 split. And I think it's these, sort of like touchy-feely, let's get deep into your feelings um, and deep into some uncomfortable topics that the men are sort of shying away from. I think they want to mm. like tick a box. Like I, I went to AA today. I, I went to I, AA today. I spilled out my story. Nobody can say anything. I don't need to be defensive, judgmental, and victim consciousness, and I can leave. Yes, it's goal-oriented, right? Yeah. I think that probably like what we are all doing is a lot more process oriented hmm. where there it's like, okay, well, I went, I'm going to stay sober tonight, one day at a time, Let's do this again tomorrow. Um, and so, yeah, I think the conversations that we're having are, they are deep, like they go in directions. And that's the beauty of a small group is that we can just go in whatever direction the group wants to go in, whatever they want to talk about. And that's usually what happens. Um, someone mm. will bring up something and then someone will say, Oh my God, I've been thinking about that too. And, and then we end up talking about that for a long time. And I don't think that's, I don't know if men want that sort of stream of consciousness, like meeting. I, I think they, I think maybe we need to do a better job of, uh, of showing them the benefits. Uh, you know, I, I, I think men just don't, they don't understand the value that they'll get by putting in the work. And there's a, there's a real, there's a real kind of like, I want to do it myself mentality. Like it's almost like a self-sabotage thing with a lot of men that I come across, you know? And, um, but then when you come across somebody who's like so willing to be open and expressive and, uh, it's so, it's so powerful and they can, they can really, um, they can really help the group because imagine, yeah. Imagine you have like, in the, let's just talk about your case, for example. Imagine you was in your own group, right? Or you was in my group, um, and you going through a divorce. We could be we could be in an echo chamber of women where we're saying, "Yeah, and this fucking guy, can you believe he said this? Oh, did he? Yeah, and he did that. No way, and he didn't do this. Oh my god, you're so right to get rid of this guy." Or we could be in that echo chamber, but when you when you're in a group with men. <laughs> And the men are brave enough to talk. They'll be like, they'll be like, okay, um, have you checked in on his shame? Um, do do we do we realize that he might actually be utterly consumed by his shame because you no longer drink, and therefore you told the world you had a problem, which means he now thinks he's the most inadequate man in 7.8 billion people on the planet because he could not protect you and fix you. Like, have you thought about that? Like men can really help, you know, like, um, sex is another one, right? It's like, you know, I need, I need, I need to be connected and, 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 and loving and touching and not this guy just, he just keeps like wanting to have sex without any of that. Right. And it, and it's like, Oh, actually I'm a man. Um, it's, I don't want sex. I want to be seen. And I want yeah. to be heard and I want to matter. And I want you to just rub my thumb. But sex, sex is the way that I'm used to getting my, all those things met. Right. Like, so I, I think, I think it's really beautiful that you can have that mix. If we can, if we can get the men, like I said, to pull the proverbial fingers out of their butts. I mean, I think it's a combination too. I think that when men, sometimes when men join our group, like they find the conversation to, female centered because, and it's sort of like a vicious cycle, right? So we end up with more women and more women. And so, and then the conversation gets even more like people are talking about their hormones and like, <laughs> and the men just sort of like, you can see the camera shuts off and they're like, done. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, I think I totally agree. That perspective would be, yeah, amazing. That would, you're right. I mean, I really only had 
female perspectives around during my divorce. And now that you say about the sum, I didn't even know. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could help mean, me out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not that, that. I mean, I guess being a being a man who's leading and guiding and attracting a community, and vast majority of the community is women. It allows me to be able to express that uh, and share uh, the, the the terrible things I did, and try to provide some reasoning behind that without using it as a cop out. Right? You know, it's like yes, I was a narcissist, and sometimes I still behave like a narcissist, and here are the reasons why. And it allows somebody to go, holy shit, and then. And then maybe some compassionate can come out of that. Maybe some forgiveness can come out of it. Not don't even have to forgive the other person. It could be self-forgiveness. So um, yeah, I think having different gender points of view is like really important. What what are what are some of the things you're finding in your group patterns, uh problems that people are dealing with? Oh, um a big pattern is uh perfectionist tendencies. Mm. That's a huge pattern. Um I think another I'm trying to think. There's a lot of of, of patterns. Um, that one's a big one. Um, people not having coping mechanisms for stress, and so a lot of like work related stress. Um, a big one, which has caused a pivot for me. I was a healthcare worker. I was an orthodontist before, and so um, and that were I had the multiple practices, and so uh, there are so many healthcare workers in this group that I actually started adding like a checkbox um, when they sign up if they're a healthcare worker. And so I think I'm going to spin off a healthcare workers group. And I think there's a few reasons I think they want this style of meeting. One, because it's small, and they don't want to go to a 200 person meeting mm. where they could have a patient or like a colleague there. Mm. Um, and I think that their challenges are unique, especially ones that went through the pandemic working, you know, however many hours, hundred hours a week. And so, yeah, that's an interesting, the, the healthcare is just a, a running theme. Like it keeps coming up where there's so many healthcare workers, um, a lot of teachers, but yeah, I think for the women, it's mostly sort of, you know, perfectionism, self-worth, um, those type of things and they're they're super like reflective about it in our group mm. there's a there's a lady been on my podcast her name is martina fink she was a perfectionist coach i know she's still doing it i'll have to check her out do you ever have guests do you ever have guest speakers yeah no we have an author coming up yeah but mm. you know we're, we're pretty new at it but yeah i want to i want to go there you go look if you've got no men in in your call give us a shout i'll i'll step in I'll step okay. in and be be the be the man answering all the man questions. You know, That'd be great. Yeah, yeah I give mean, us a full show. transparency. Like I'm, I have a coach, like a male coach that I want to add, but I'm nervous what the reaction will be to a male coach to lead, guess, like, to facilitate yeah, the meetings. I, I guess it. I guess it really depends on um, your values and what it is you're trying to teach them, right? So, like it it in um, in strife, for example. Like I, I really want people to get to the point where they're really super comfortable just talking about anything with anybody. I and and the reason being there's so much freedom in that, right? Like, so let's say somebody says, I don't want to talk about the fact that I um had a problem with alcohol because everything's on social media these days. And uh, some if I go for a job at some point, somebody's gonna read it and I'm not gonna be like my viewpoint on that is we create our own reality like we create it like and our experience of life is less about what's out there and it's it's in here right um and if somebody if that came up like if i'm getting interviewed by nike and they're like hey i just realized that you had a real problem with alcohol I see that as like a massive selling point. Like, like, yeah, I did. And I got through it because I'm a tough mother. You know what I mean? Like, do you want to hear yeah. about it? I think whilst there is um, boundaries, for sure, putting in healthy boundaries, um, I've never really had anything come back and bite me on the ass. And I'm very, very open about everything everywhere, right? I, I, I trust people until they give me a reason not to rather than the other way around and yeah. that really works for me and that's my philosophy with people so you know 
see what see see where that lands in in your value system and then yeah. you know determine whether you want to bring a guy in or not you know yeah to me i want the best person right and so yeah, the best yeah. person is yeah if the you know if i think the best person for this group is yeah for a self esteem group ab sometimes it, yeah who knows if he's the best guy for the job we should hire him well <laughs> yeah. here, here's another controversial one for people listening maybe or maybe not but there was a time in Strive in our framework where we had a lot of coaches in different areas. So we had a relationship coach, we had a perfectionist coach, we had a sex coach. And I was thinking, oh my God, I need these people to be sober, right? Because if they're not sober, you're going to have somebody like, okay, well, I can't, I can't take advice from this person because this person drinks. And then I was like, no, you want the best person for the job. So if we have someone with a sex and intimacy issue, it's not an alcohol issue, right? You need the best ah. sex and intimacy coach. And it doesn't matter if that person is going out on the weekends, getting trolleyed because they're not teaching you about that. They're teaching you about how to be intimate with your partner. So there's a lot, there's a lot of stigma that we need to be careful of. We don't introduce into our groups ourselves. I guess it's not easy though. Is it running a group? <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. I mean, it's, it's really rewarding, but it is it is not easy to make sure everyone feels heard. Mm. And yeah, that is something. But I haven't even actually thought about that, about having someone who's not on a alcohol journey, alcohol-free journey. I hadn't even thought about having somebody most, talk to most, people about Most of the time, you'll attract, because of your work, you'll attract people who don't drink or drink very little anyway. Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Um, and you can, you can just discern and, you know, your, your energy will pick them up, but, um, yeah, running. And I tell you why running groups are really difficult. It's like, I run several groups using my same method, but they, so I've got obviously people who were addicted with alcohol, but I've also got a community of poker players. Right. And, uh, yeah. I've been involved in a community of, um, like coaches. Um, and the the input and the time spent getting in there and doing the work and stuff is so much higher in the poker group than it is in the alcohol addiction group because the alcohol addiction group there's there's so much more vulnerability, concern, anxiety, stress, etc. And then in this other group, they, there is very little of that, and it's they're just they're just flying into it. So it is really difficult if you want to create a quote-unquote uh, sobriety recovery group or whatever it is really really yeah. challenging and really difficult so i just want to just want to end really by saying um well done for taking up the mantle yeah. and um and giving back to to the world um how can people find you and how can they join everbloom yeah so i mean we're pretty easy to find join everbloom.com b-l-u-m-e and you can just check out a free meeting and so i think that's the best way for people to feel comfortable with the format is just come check out a meeting and if you mm. like it you can sign up for a membership and then we'll kind of get you slotted into you know a group that best fits but yeah just check out a meeting no pressure no commitment i think it's just you know that's how i, I think i would want um to figure out if something worked for me so yeah mm. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on. I've really appreciated getting to know you and um, thanks for sharing your story and I wish you all the best for the future, Sonia. If you ever need anything, let me know. I will. Thank you so much, Lee. And thanks for what you're doing. I think it's amazing. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Just a few thank yous. First of all, I want to thank uh, you guys and girls for listening to this podcast and being supporters of it. Many people stop drinking alcohol just by listening to this podcast. I got a lot of people reaching out to me, thanking me for that, right? So give this to somebody as a gift today or rate and review the podcast. If you can rate and review the podcast on your local podcast player and tell somebody about it, you could change somebody's life today, okay? So thank you for listening and thank you in advice in advance for that piece of service. Also want to thank our producer, Stan. Um, Stan is still currently in the Ukraine, fighting the war and producing our podcast while his family is somewhere else in the world right now, okay, apart from him. So everybody, send out your prayers and your love. Stan, we love you. Thank you very much for everything you do here. For you out there, if you are starting to think about, contemplate, uh, reflect on your relationship with alcohol, you do not have to do this alone. Yes, you drink alone, but you don't have to stop alone, okay? And if alcohol is not your thing, 
but you are starting to feel that you actually are living a parts-led life. The ego is getting in the way too much. So you're not happy with the way life is going. Then reach out to us at thestrivemethod at gmail.com. Just say, Lee, and just tell me what is on your mind. And we'll start to have that conversation. Strive community is a beautiful place where you can start to feel seen, heard, and matter. It's where you can get community, and it's where you can start practicing what we call the eight C's of self, our core values, right? Of creativity, curiosity, uh, connection, compassion, courage. I uh, can't remember the rest of them, but there's eight of them, right? And we have our quest structure. So we have assignments, and they're really interesting, exciting. At the end of them, we say to you, come on. Do this quest, right? Get involved in this challenge. Um, and strivers are really finding it exciting. And they're working their challenges in these areas that are going to increase the amount of time they spend in self-energy, in a state of flow. And that is has amazing repercussions for the relationship you grow with yourself and for how you how you reach out to others in their life, like how you parent, how you um, are as a child to your, not child, but a son or a daughter, how you are in your relationship with the person you share your bed with and how you behave with your employees, right? So reach out to me at strivemethod at gmail.com if you want to learn more. Okay, much love, everybody.